Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 26 today, whether you have it in a print or a digital form. Acts chapter 26, we can see the finish line on the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to be wrapping this up in the next three weeks here. Let me recap where we've been after last week. So last week, we told a story in Acts chapter 22 where Paul was in Jerusalem. Some Jewish leaders made some accusations against him that were not true, but caused a riot. And these people were wanting to try to kill him. Does anybody remember this? Three of us. Okay, so it was, it was a powerful story. So, so they're trying to kill Paul. The Roman authorities then take him into custody, in part because they don't know what's going on. They want to protect him. They want to keep a riot from happening. He ends up as a part of a Jewish trial, and then he stays in this Roman custody as you're reading through these last few chapters in the book of Acts. And then it gets to a point where they find out that there's a plot to try to kill him. Like there's an assassination plot. And Paul hears about it. He makes sure the Romans find out, and they say, we got to get him out of Jerusalem because there's, there's all this tension, this, this hotbed of tension here in Jerusalem. We need to get him out of Jerusalem, so they take him to a place called Caesarea. Now, we're going to take a group from Calvary to Israel in March of 2020, so just about a year from now. If you're interested in going with us to Israel, we're going to go with Dr. Wave Nunnally. You remember, he was here a year ago and, and taught us on a Sunday morning. He's going to be our guide we're going to go in, in March of next year. You can stop by the hub and find out some more information. If that's something that's on your bucket list, don't wait to check it off. The first thing we do when we get there, the first stop that we make is to this place called Caesarea. And we go, it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful place. And we go right up to the place that's called Herod's Palace, which is what we're reading about in this story. Paul was in prison there for over two years. They took him there because they, they thought he might be safer and away from the tension in Jerusalem. The governor at that time was a guy named Felix. And so Felix puts him in prison and he interacts with him over these two years. But Felix wanted to keep the Jews happy, so he kind of just kept him in prison. And then when it was time for Felix to be done being the governor, a new guy came in named Festus. Those are awesome names, aren't they? If you're ever going to have twin males, Felix and Festus, pray about it. Those are great names, Okay. <laughs> That might have been a word for somebody. So then Festus becomes the governor. And when Festus is the governor, he's not sure what to do with Paul. Doesn't have a real good understanding of the, the Jewish background of it all. But he knows a guy who does. Festus is the Roman governor who's occupying this Jewish territory. But they also had a guy who was their king, who was the Jewish king. His name is Agrippa. He's a descendant of Herod the Great that we read about like in the, in the Christmas story. And so Agrippa comes to visit Festus, and one of the things that Festus says is, look, Agrippa, I got this dude over here in, in the prison. His name's Paul. There's some kind of Jewish dispute going on here. He wants to go to Rome and make his case before the emperor, before Caesar, but I'm not sure what to do with this. Can you and I sit down with him and hear what he has to say? And so Festus, the Roman governor, who's the, the, the occupier, and Agrippa, who's the Jewish king, set up a time where they can come together and there's an audience that's put together and Paul comes and he meets before them. Acts chapter 26, 
verse 1. I, I want to take and read through kind of an extended passage here and listen to what Paul says because it's really relevant to what we're going to look at today. Acts chapter 26, verse 1. I love this opening line. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. That's how the whole story starts. And I want you to get something today. I don't think that's just Agrippa talking to Paul. I think that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. For some of you, as we talk about this idea of telling your story, you need to hear that today for yourself, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, you have permission. It's time for you to speak for yourself. Acts chapter 26, verse 1. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Do you remember last week when we, when we started this idea of telling your story, and we talked about how important it is that you tell your story well, and we said some things, like make sure that you speak the same language. Does anybody remember that? And we talked about making a connection with other people. That's what Paul's doing here. He's making a connection with Agrippa. He's speaking in language that he can understand. Verse 4, the Jewish people all know the way I lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I, listen to this language here. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Do you think Paul was a driven man? And he's telling Agrippa this for a reason. He wants him to know what his life was like. In fact, we know that from other places, when Paul talks about this, he talks about it with a sense of regret in some ways. He talks about it with a sense of, this is who I used to be. He wants Agrippa to see that this is who I was. But watch what he says next, verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven. You may remember this because this is the story he told last week. This is the story we read about in Acts chapter 9. He says, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Remember that. We'll come back to that part. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. 
I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see what Paul said? He said, look, this, this is who I was, but because of Jesus' work in my life, this is who I am. Did you get what he's doing here? The same thing we saw him do last week. Whether he's standing in front of an angry mob of people trying to kill him, or whether he's in front of a representative from the emperor and a king, Paul's strategy in those moments, he tells his story. We see a model. We, we saw it last week in chapter 22. We see it this week in 26. Paul uses this model that when this moment comes for him to share his faith with someone, the tool that he uses is he tells his story. And the model that worked for Paul works for you too. It works for me too. And I want to challenge you that God wants you to tell your story too. So thinking of what Paul just did, I want to give to us just a, a quick little model that we can use that when you're in that moment to share your faith with someone, when you're in that moment and you sense the Holy Spirit stirring, tell them about me, that you're, you're not worried about, do I need to know theology? Or you're not worried about, am I going to use all the right words? In that moment, do what Paul did. You just tell your story. And there's a model that he uses that I want to show you. And I, I just, I'm, I'm going to give you just a real simple little drawing that hopefully will help us to be able to communicate this. Now, before we get there, I want to say this. I'm not a very good artist. My grades in school for art were not that good. But this is a place of grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. Not quite convincing. Okay. I'm going I'm to draw this for you. You've probably seen something like this before. This is not original to me. You've probably seen something like this. But let's, let's just say this to help us to understand this concept. Let's say you've got, um, if you will, two cliffs that are separated by a great chasm. And over here, this is you. You have a very long torso, apparently, but that's you. <laughs> and over here, if you're looking at this, over on this side, that's where God is. And there is something, there is this space in between. You're over here, God is over here, and something has come between you, and there is no way for you to get from here to there. You know what it's like to have something between you and God. Can anybody relate to that? Can you remember a time in your life? And look, I honestly believe that this is the state of all of humanity, that at some point, if we're honest, we recognize, we know in our hearts that there is something that separates us from God. Now, Paul uses this idea over and over again. You see it in his writing. You see it in his logic. He talks about how there is an old man and a new man. He talks about what life is like before Christ and after our relationship with him. And what we want to talk about today is this, and it starts here. When you tell your story, you start with this. You start with who I was. That's where you begin. And Paul starts with that. We saw that there. He talked about who he was before his encounter with Christ. And when you and I tell our story, we need to talk about who I was before my encounter with Christ. Now, the reality is for some of us, especially those of us who grew up in the church, we might not have much of a story. Like, like my story is that when I was about five years old, I, that's the first time that I surrendered my life to Christ. 
And I remember I came to an altar at Warren First Assembly, and I confessed my addiction to M&Ms and chocolate chip cookies. Like, that was the, you know, right? Not a whole lot, not a whole lot going on at five. But I did know this. The Holy Spirit helped me to see that there was sin in my life that I could not do anything about, and that without God's grace, I was hopeless. That's the story for all of us, isn't it? For some of us, our story goes long beyond five, and it goes a whole lot deeper than chocolate chip cookies. The reality is it's the same. And I still know, we all know what it's like to have a heart that turns away from God. We all know what it's like to make choices throughout our lives where we've pushed God out of the picture. And that's who we were. When we tell our story, we talk about where I was, and we share that with people. The story begins with this. It starts with who I was. In fact, you hear Paul do it in chapter 22. You hear Paul do it in chapter 26. You hear Paul do it. We looked at this scripture last week, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. There's something interesting that that I've watched happen in the last week. It might be good for for some of you to hear. A lot of times after I preach on a Sunday, people will want to come up and they'll want, to, they'll want to say something. Sometimes it's like, oh, Pastor, that was really good. Or sometimes people are like, hey, Pastor, here's a joke you should have told. Thanks. I mean, I, I appreciate the research, but where were you 24 hours ago, right? I mean, it's that kind of, it, but thanks, I'll take your jokes. And then, and then, you know, sometimes it's like, Pastor, here's what you could have cut out, made it a lot shorter, and we'd be done already. You know, that kind of thing. Like, you get that. Here's, here's what I heard last week from multiple people. Hey, pastor, when you talked about my story, it made me think about my past. And that was tough because it brought some guilt and it brought some shame and it brought some frustration. And I had some of these disappointments. And what I heard you saying was in my mind, like Paul, I've been the worst of sinners. Here's the beauty of what Paul says. He doesn't stop there. He says that Jesus found me the worst of sinners, and he gave me his immense patience, not just so I could know grace, but so that through me, other people could see mercy. And when the enemy wants to point out everything about what you were in the past, that's when you remind him of what Jesus does and how he works in our life. Don't miss Paul's point here. He says he was shown mercy because there is something that we see here that is so clear that there is something that separates us from God. This is who I was, and God is all the way over there. What what is this? It's in the middle here. It's really a pretty simple three-letter word that we talk about. It's sin, isn't it? Isn't it? It's those choices, it's those decisions, it's those mistakes, and that is what has separated us from God. And the reality is you can't work hard enough, you can't try hard enough, you can't do anything on your own to deal with that sin. It's there and it's separated you from God. I'm not making this up. Over and over again, this is Paul's story. Listen to what he says, Titus chapter three, verse verse three. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
But the reality is for all of us, at some point, we have to come to terms with this. There's sin in our lives. And it's created this separation between us and God. And on our own, there's nothing we can do about it. But watch what he says, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Do you see what Paul pointed out there? He says, yeah, this is who I was, and this sin separated us, but because of what Jesus did for me, this is who I am, and now I'm in right relationship with God. I'm not here anymore. This is who I was, but this is who I am, and God has changed my life. That's your story, right? Because he's helped us to get past this sin and to a place where we can know him, we need to focus on the idea of this is who I am. How does Paul talk about it? Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. That's a good word, isn't it? Here's what Paul points out. He, he knows how to capture this whole idea of before and after. Anybody ever seen a commercial? Anybody? It's a tough crowd today, Tom. Anybody ever seen a commercial? Right, what do they do, right? The whole idea is if I can show you before and after, then it helps you to see that what you were before, you want to be what you can be after. You'll see this, you buy the right car, you were a loser before, you're good looking after, right? <laughs> you sign up and eat these right foods, you're, you're gonna look better after, right? You got that bald head, you rub this right stuff on there, you're gonna look better, you'll have hair after. Sorry. And, and so like, you got, like you, got the, you got this going on, right? Well, Paul captures this whole idea. He captures this whole idea, and he says, look, I know what I was before, but this is who I am after. And I, I was without hope over here, but now I have hope. And my life was without real purpose that mattered over here, but now I have purpose. And everything that I felt like had separated me from God, now things are good because I am in a place. I'm not who I was anymore. I'm who I am. That's the story to tell, right? And don't you think that's a story we should tell? A lady in Cleveland, a few weeks ago, she, she pulled into her driveway one night. And she was getting her kids out of the car. And as she did, she noticed a, a man running up and down her street yelling, waving his arms, jumping up and down, and just kind of like going crazy. She kind of got weirded out a little bit. She put her kids back in the car. She gets in the car. She locks the door. She calls the police and says, there's some crazy man running up and down my street. I don't know what to do. Ma'am, stay where you are. They send an officer. So some officers come, and uh, they, they kind of they stop the guy, and they say, man, what's going on? And he goes, don't you know the Browns just got Odell Beckham Jr.? <laughs> He's running up and down the street just going crazy. 
Remember this false hope? I mean, it's incredible what he's, what he's doing in that moment. Oh, now you're here. You weren't here a couple minutes ago, but now you're all. Yeah, I get it. He's like, don't you know? Look, here's, here's the deal. They, they go back to the lady. They're like, no, he's, he's all right. He's just a little delusional, right? And they, you know, they, so they, everything's good. Now, look, we have yet to see if OBJ is the savior of the Browns, but I know who the savior of the world is. And I think it's right for me to tell other people about him. Don't you? You have a story to tell. And people need to hear it. Do you know what the story is? Let me show it to you. It's that Jesus made the difference. And this gap that's between who you were and who you can be, do you know what bridges the gap? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he died for us on that cross, he paid the price so that our sins could be removed. We could have forgiveness. And this is the beauty of this story. I'm not who I was. Things are right between me and God. I am who I am because of what Jesus did for me when he died for my sins. That's the model. Just tell your story and show people what Jesus not only did for you, not that Jesus made the difference just for you, but Jesus can make the difference for us all. And look, I want to park here for a couple of minutes today for a few reasons. One, because Paul does. Like, I want to go back to his language and tell you about what Jesus has done for us. The second thing is this. We're celebrating with 41 people today who are going to get in and out of that baptismal tank, and they're going to tell the world what Jesus has done for them. They're going to tell their story. I think it's good for us to remember our story as well. And here's the other thing that I know. I know you, you might be a guest with us today. Like, maybe, maybe you're here because you're... you're seeing somebody who's important to you be baptized. Or maybe you're watching this online or you're, you're watching this on TV and you don't even know why. Or maybe you just decided, you know what, today's a good day for me to go to church. Maybe not even real deliberately that this is the church that you're at. Look, there's something you need to know about why this matters. This isn't just a, 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 a cute drawing by a guy who barely passed second grade art. This is, this is about something so much more. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. You listen to Paul's words about Jesus. He says that Jesus has come to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let me use Paul words, Paul's words for just a minute. Here's, here's what Jesus does for us. Jesus opens our eyes. So many of us struggle to see what life is really all about. And it's only through Jesus that we can see this. The reality, though, is, like, like do, you ever, do you ever know anybody that you just, you watch how they live their life and you think to yourself, what are they thinking? Do you know anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Like, why do they do what they do? Or why do they keep making those same mistakes? Or why do they keep choosing to live in a way that's actually hurting them more than it's helping them? Well, here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says that the God of this age, that's not speaking about God, that's, that's speaking about the devil, who, who is the God of this world right now in this season, that's why Paul calls him the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When, when we say that, we, we, we say that with a little g, small God, because in so many ways, the devil has blinded people's eyes so they can't see the truth. And probably at some point, you and I have all been there. And what we needed was Jesus Christ to open our eyes so we could see what life was really all about. And I'll tell you this, if you will have an openness, 
If you will allow him, Jesus can open your eyes to see what life is all about, to see what truly matters. And I use that, that, uh, that phrase, if, if you will allow him, very, very deliberately. It's interesting what, what Jesus said to Paul, rode to Damascus. He says, Saul, Saul, that was his name before it got changed to Paul. Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he says this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's probably not a phrase you use very often. You probably haven't used it in the last 24 hours. You probably haven't used it in the last 24 years. <laughs> like when I read that, some of you were like, what? what is, I don't know, what does that mean? How, it's hard to kick against the goads. A goad is like a long stick with a sharp pointed end. And in this day and time, 2,000 years ago, when so much revolved around agriculture, what would happen is if there were livestock that you were trying to move, in particular, like if you, if you had an oxen that was harnessed to like a plow or something, the person that was driving that oxen, driving that plow, would take that goad and would poke the oxen to get them moving. Well, if you're the oxen, are you excited to be poked with a sharp stick? <laughs> no. So what are you going to do? You're going to kick, Right? You're going to kick against that goad, but the problem is you're strapped in this harness. You're attached to this plow. There's another ox next to you. You, you. you can kick all you want. It's not going to make any difference because if I'm the guy driving the oxen, you know what I'm going to keep doing? I'm going to keep goading you to move forward. You can kick all you want, but it's worthless. It's useless. It's hard for you to kick against the goad until the oxen finally realizes I'm never going to win this battle. So 2,000 years ago, that phrase, it's hard to kick against the goads, was something that worked its way into Greek speech and Greek literature. They would use that whenever someone was trying to fight their destiny. They, instead of saying, hey, it's useless, or you can't change this, or there's nothing you can do about it, they might say, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says to Paul, hey, Paul, I'm going to build my church. And you can't stop it, no matter how hard you try. So why are you persecuting me? Because you can kick all you want, but it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Because I'm going to build my church, and even the gates of hell aren't going to stop it. And then Paul realized, oh, wow, I'm on the wrong side of this thing. For some of you, every time the Holy Spirit tries to get your attention... Every time God tries to challenge you with obedience, every time there's something that comes into your heart that you know you might be, need to think about differently, you're trying to kick against that thing. Can I tell you, there's times when you're fighting a losing battle. Instead, what if you said, Jesus, I need you to open my eyes. I want to see what you want to show me. Why is that so important? Because Jesus not only opens our eyes, but Jesus takes us from darkness to light. He helps you to see what life is really all about John chapter one, verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus not only opens our eyes, but he takes us from darkness to light, and then watch this. Jesus turns us from Satan to God. It says here that Jesus turns us from the power of Satan to the power of God. And for so many of us, and for too many years, we allowed Satan to have, have direction and say in our lives. Sometimes when we think of Satan, we think of a cartoon character or like an imaginary devil. Well, he's not that. He's real. And he hates God. 
So he wants to destroy everything that God loves, which means he hates you. And he has a plan for your life. You want to hear it? John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came so that we could be set free from what Satan wanted to do with our life and have it turned towards God. Have you ever known somebody who worked for a terrible boss? I didn't ask you directly because your boss might be sitting in this room. There's a guy in the last service that he like pointed down at guy two doors down who happened to have been his boss at one point with a little grin on his face. Good thing he doesn't work there anymore, right? You know? You ever know somebody who had a terrible boss? And you hear them talk about that environment, and you hear them talk about the way that they're treated, and then eventually, and I've talked to people like this, then they get another job, and they're working in a different environment, and it's a much more healthy culture, and maybe for somebody who treats them better, and they say, man, this is so much better. I don't know why I waited so long. Can I tell you this? The devil is a terrible boss, and God wants to give you freedom, and he wants to give you life, and can I tell you what else he wants to give you? Jesus not only turns us from Satan to God, but Jesus gives us forgiveness. And I don't think we can ever underestimate the power of forgiveness. That's what Jesus came to do. And for so many of us, it's the things that happened to us in the past. It's the way that we've lived that we need to break free from those things. We need to move past those things. And Jesus has come to give us forgiveness, to which you say, that's cool, Chad. I've heard that before, but you don't know what I've done. And you don't know what reminders I carry day in, day out. And you don't know the things that have haunted me. And you don't know the choices that I've made. You don't know what I did last night or last week or last year or 42 years ago. I'm sure forgiveness is good for some people. I'm just not so sure it's real for me. At a library on Vancouver Island just in the last couple of weeks, the librarian went and opened up the drop box where you can drop books off. And when they did, they found inside of there a book that when they looked inside, it had been checked out in 1977. That book had been overdue for 42 years. They have no idea where it was. When they, when they asked the, the librarian about it, here's what this guy David Carson said. He said, the book is in great condition after 42 years. This is an exact quote. After 42 years, it smells good. <laughs> Who does it? Like, why would you? I don't know. It smells good. Its corners are crisp. Its pages are nice and sharp. It's in really good shape. This dude's excited to get this book back. I was glad to read the next paragraph because the question had already crossed my mind. Anybody wonder what the overdue fee is on a book after 42 years? On Vancouver Island, it's $3,442. They don't care, though. You know why? They're just glad to have the book back. They don't know who dropped it off, but they do want them to know this. Everything's forgiven. Some of you look at your fines and fees. Some of you look at, at the overdue sins in your life. Some of you look at where your life is and you say to yourself, I don't know that I can ever go back. I don't know that God would take me back. Can I tell you at the end of the day, stop worrying about what it might cost because you know what I, what I know God says? Never mind, I'm just glad to have you back. Everything's forgiven. He loves you that much. That's, that's the story that I want you to see today. Jesus 
gives us forgiveness. This is what Paul preached to them. This is what Paul wanted them to know. This is what Paul wanted them to see. And then Paul does something that we watch him do over and over again. You see this because we've heard of hundreds of sermons that he's preached. And then we get these examples. We, We get this example that we see last week in chapter 22. We get this example in chapter 26. And watch what he does next. Acts chapter 26, verse 19. He's telling them this. Now, you've heard the story. Now, I want to know what you're going to do about it. And the reality is that comes to you and me today, too. We have to answer the question. You've heard the story. What will your response be? How are you going to respond to this? Acts chapter 26, verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, Paul says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's why some of the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Did you see what Jesus came to do? Jesus came to take us from death to life in God. That's the story of the resurrection, isn't it? We're going to look at this at Easter as we see this and watch and see what Jesus can do in our lives. My question for you is, what's your response when you hear that? Because as we look at this story, you're going to see multiple responses. There's not just one. One response is what I would call the salvation response. This is why Paul presented this to them. He wanted to say, look, salvation is available to you. You can choose this salvation response where you turn to God and recognize that you need him, that you need a savior who will forgive your sins. That's why he died on the cross and that you need a Lord who will give purpose to your life. And the good news is that he didn't just die, but he rose again and he lives to give us life and to give us purpose. This is the response that I hope you'll choose. In fact, for many of us in this room, we've already chosen this response. We know Jesus as our Savior, and we know him as our Lord, and that has made all the difference, and that's why we can tell this story. I know who I was, but I know who I am, and I'm right with God because Jesus died for my sins, and now he lives inside of me. Isn't that the story? I hope you'll choose that salvation response, but not everybody does. Acts chapter 26, verse 24. At this point, Festus, do you remember our friend Festus? He's the Roman governor. Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Festus didn't give the salvation response. He he gave what we'll call the rejection response. Or it's known among the commoners as, you're crazy, right? Isn't that it? And some of you have heard this before. Some of you have heard the rejection response. Because when you told your friends that you were choosing to live your life in a certain way, they said, you're crazy. When you said, no, I'm not like that anymore because of what Jesus has done for me. And they say, well, you you must be nuts. (laughs) You must be insane. When you interact with people who knew who you was, and then they see who you am, (laughs) 
Is the bad grammar getting your attention? <laughs> that was the O. When they remember who you was and then they see who you am, and they say, what happened? And you say, well, I found out that Jesus died for my sins and now I have life in him. They go, oh man, you're crazy. Like that, that will happen to some of us. That has happened to some of us. What do you do in those moments? Because the thought might cross your mind. Maybe I am crazy. For some of you, that thought maybe should cross your mind. Maybe I am crazy. But not about this. For some of you, you need to recognize that just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's true. Jesus has changed your life. Even if they give the rejection response. There's another response in this story. Acts chapter 26, verse 26. Paul, Paul goes on to say to, to Festus, look, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Agrippa gives what we'll call the avoidance response. Have you ever done this? Somebody asks you a question, and then you ask them another question just to take the pressure off of yourself. Anybody? <laughs> if I can dodge it, then I don't have to answer it. We don't know what his tone was. He, he could have been angry. He could have been like, Paul, do you think that you can do this in such a quick time? Or he might have been a little sarcastic. Paul, <laughs> do you think that in such a short time? Or maybe he was actually kind of curious. Maybe he said, you know, Paul, do you think that in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? All we know is this. He did his best to dodge the question. He gave the avoidance response. And I don't mean to make things too simple, but here's the bottom line. That when you avoid it, you're actually rejecting it. And the truth is, you, you really only have one of two responses. Either you accept the salvation that Jesus brings to you, or you reject it. And my question, like, like right now for you, is what are you going to do with that? Are you going to receive salvation through Jesus Christ? Or are you going to push it away? Because it's available. That's not just somebody else's story. That can be your story. In just a few moments, I'm going to challenge you to answer that question. Let me read one more verse, though, that I think is really important. Acts chapter 26, verse 29. Paul's been shut down by both Festus and Agrippa. And Agrippa says, do you really think you could persuade me to be a Christian that quick? To which Paul says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. When you tell your story and other people don't listen, do you give up? Nah. First, you say, look, I'll pray for you. And you do that. In fact, we're going to do that this Wednesday night. We have our first Wednesday service. This Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, this room. These are really special times for us. We're going to talk some more about this and how to share our faith. We've got some really special things planned. Part of what we're going to do is we're going to pray for those in our lives who need to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're going to pray for our Easter services. I hope you'll make it a priority to be with us. Paul says, look, I'll pray for you, and I'll keep telling my story. Because even if people don't accept what you say, it's still so important that you say it. 
So tomorrow morning when you go into the office and God stirs in your heart to tell that coworker about who Jesus is in your life, you open your mouth and you tell him. When you know that there's a coworker that you can serve in some way, when you've got somebody that you, you go to school with and you recognize that you could encourage them, when there's that moment when the Holy Spirit's stirring in something inside of you, when you're sitting at that sporting event and that person next to you starts to tell you their story and you realize that there's something in your story who could point them to Jesus, who could change their story, when those moments come, don't, don't hold back in those moments because those are the moments when you say, God, would you speak through me? Because here's the deal. It's not the missionary's responsibility to tell your friend about Jesus. And it's not the pastor's job to make sure the person across the street from you hears it. And you can't sit there and wait for somebody in the church who has the gift of evangelism to show up and make all the difference. This is a challenge for every single one of us. For you to tell your story. I love what Agrippa says to Paul in verse 1 of Acts chapter 26. He looks at him and says, all right, Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And I'm giving that to you today. In fact, I, I wouldn't call it permission. I'd call it a challenge. The Holy Spirit is challenging you in those moments. Will you trust him enough to speak through you? It's really not that hard. You tell them and you say, look, this is who I was. This is who I am because of what Jesus did for me. And you tell them your story. This weekend was a pretty big weekend for a bunch of our students in our, in our middle school and high school ministries, CSM, here at Calvary. Every year they spend months preparing for what they call the Fine Arts Festival. And they do artwork and, and they have the opportunity to do all kinds of just artistic expressions and a lot of things with music and, and singing and leading worship and some different ways. And you're, you're gonna hear actually some of that on Wednesday night as a part of our first Wednesday that I think you'll really be challenged by. But on Friday night, I heard this spoken word for the first time and when I heard it, it challenged me and I knew right away that it fit right into this sermon and I felt like the Lord told me, look, this is a good thing not just for you to hear, but because of what we've talked about, this is a good thing for the church to hear. So I want to challenge you today to not wait for somebody else to do it, but to speak for yourself. So I prayed a prayer that many of us have prayed, a pledge to our Father that many Christians have made. I said to the God of creation, Send me, I'll do whatever you say. And if you may, send me to where the bullets fly in the Middle East. And as I open my mouth to speak, fire off bullets of your unconditional love, piercing the hearts of those in need, transforming the renegades of chaos into generators of peace. So Father, send me. Send me to the rebel tribes of Africa. Send me to the unreached. Send me to the neglected of Darfur. Send me to Safi, because I'm yours, no matter what that means. But as I concluded this prayer, I expected to open my eyes to see the face of a father so proud of his son. But instead, I saw the wrath of a king, exclaiming, what have you done? And in the mystery, I, I looked to the author of eternity as he opened his mouth and he prepared to speak. And he looked back at me and in his response, he, he asked, what about those 
across the street. Because I get it. I get it. You want to travel across the world, but you don't need a passport to set your neighbor free. So what is it about these extremist groups crossing the seas that makes you think that location will change your mentality? Because see, faith is not not holding down the fort until I send you to another place. Faith is taking back enemy territory even when you can't see my face, but now don't take that the wrong way because I'm not asking you to have a blind faith. I'm just not gonna give you an over-the-top fireworks display or extravagant parade to get you to open your mouth and use your words to paint a Sistine Chapel to the wonders of my name. I mean, just think about it. How is it that you want to travel across the seas to bring me praise while well, somehow Jesus is a word that the one across the street has never heard you say. Unless, of course, the context was profane. But hold on. Hold on, because I need you to hear these words that I have to say. Because simply and plain, what you're asking for is to walk on water. But I need you to step out of the boat. Because you keep wanting to defeat the giants, but I need you to pick up five stones. So why not start in this land that you already call your own? See, I want to use you to change the world. And I will supply the necessary powers to perform such wonders. After all, I am the who, the what, and the how. But you've become so obsessed with the then and the there that you've neglected the here and now. Because don't you see that you've lived your life in pursuit of a calling? But don't you also see that you've already received it? Because you keep asking for your missions field, but my child, you've already seen it. Because there's not a place on this earth where Jesus isn't needed. So my child, oh my child, don't you see that everything in heaven already bows to me? So why not make your prayer that earth would share in the same destiny? Why not give your here and now into the hands that already holds your eternity? So, Father, in this moment, we look to you. God, in this moment, we allow your word to speak to our hearts, challenge us to tell our story, that no matter what the response, or no matter where we find ourselves, we would be willing to tell those in our world, this is who I was, but let me tell you about who I am. Because Jesus died so I could be right with God. And that's a life that you can know too. Father, would you give us courage to make those statements? Would you give us wisdom to know your spirit's leading? And would you allow us to see lives changed and transformed? Simply because when you led us to, we were willing to tell our story. And Lord, in this moment, there's some who are in this room, who are watching this message, who know that they need the forgiveness that only you can bring, Jesus, who know that they need the purpose that can only be found in life in you. And Lord, in, in their hearts in this moment, as they express their need for you as their Savior and as their Lord, would you bridge that gap that sin has created? Would you help them to go from who they were to who they can be in you? And would you bring that transformation 
that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer is that as you go into this week, you'll have those moments and you'll see those times when God has opened up the opportunity for you to tell your story.